if I just wanted to make like a million a year and that's it and that was my only goal, I would become a farm. I would just batch my content. I would have an info product on the back of that. I would build out my lead magnet, lead gen, you know, funnel machine. And I would just become this annoying asshole that's just like getting people into machine, da, 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 you know, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. Because, and I see why people do it. I'm like sometimes enticed. Should I be doing this? You know why the like content farm info product thing is a bad idea? Because, you know, when you see something like dope and like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you're just like, this is sick. The hairs on the back of your neck are not standing up when you're selling a course for $2.99. When someone interacts with something you made or watches something you made and the hair on the back of their neck stands up, that's sick. Like that's what it's all about. The resilience of builders has gone down over time because they've been exposed to enough winners. Like we were saying in 2008 when Uber was created or Airbnb was created, they didn't have a lot of winners to look at to like warp their mind. You have a lot of projects going on. And, and you just had a daughter as well. And so I feel like that just compounds the like, there's so many things pulling you in all these different directions. I wonder like if you could share just like now that, how old you are, like three months or so or a little three, less? Three and a half months. Like if anybody out there has like kind of been following my content since I started at the beginning of the year, I would say the first seven months of the year, I was just cruising like crazy just just getting through i was probably averaging a video a day maybe maybe even two. your output was wild and my output was wild i was putting content out on everything including like all my media brands and, and like while working on like three different projects and i was able to handle it then when uh my daughter was born man my output is just like plummeted but a lot of that has been deliberate like i just want to make sure that i like i told myself all right the rest of the year first five months of her life i want to i want to be there every single moment so a lot of that was like obviously deliberate but yeah that's that's uh, the one thing that i've been telling a lot of people is that the, the one central message that i've learned is having a child really makes your life 10 times more challenging but infinitely more rewarding i, I yeah. do like i really believe it's the pinnacle i don't think there's anything better in life so but yeah i mean so my output has definitely declined but i'm, I'm ready for 2024 to, to get right back at it and is that how, like, how are you looking at it in terms of like you, because when you went into it, you were probably thinking, okay, I'll, I'll be able to juggle like whatever, like I always have, right? Like yeah, yeah, I figure yeah. out a way to balance it. And then your daughter comes to you like, okay, this is the, not only is this the most important thing, but I actually want to spend all this time with her. And so I'm, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to like take my foot off the gas, but then in the back of your head, at least for me, it's like, I have this like nagging switch. It's like, okay, yo, get back on it, get back on it. And so. When you think about, I'm sure you have that too. Like when you think about that, what, what, what is your plan in terms of like, okay, now I have less hours of the day, but I, but I want to do more with that time. So what are some of the things that you feel like are going to be little hacks or, or kind of like shortcut cheat codes that you're going to try? Well, I mean, there's a few things there. And one, I really want to get into that with you too. Like thinking about the stress of not, not kind of stressful, like the, um, the nagging pressure of being a creator. Right, like always, I, I found myself, man, like I, I spent so much time in the ideation process, just thinking of ideas, putting together scripts, like sort of in my head. And um, when I'm not uploading consistently, I do feel this pressure and I, and I hate yeah. it. Right. And I feel like every creator can, can kind of relate, but, but to sort of answer your question, then I really want to get into it with you too, because I know, you know, you've, you've been going on like long trips. I think you went to Japan for 10 days. Like I want to hear about how that affected your sort of psyche when it comes to the, the creator stuff. A lot of it, honestly, I just think is is just parenting stuff, right? And so my wife, Carly, and I, we've been having this discussion where she has like a really cool job that she loves. And I'm obviously super, super busy. So now it's like, okay, do we get a nanny? When does that happen? 
do we want a nanny? Do we want to maybe recruit like one of our moms to kind of come full time and maybe move them into the area, maybe get them an apartment? I mean, like there's all these questions going on, but I think like childcare is like part of the equation, right? Which is, which is something that obviously we're super new to. So we got to try to figure out how to reconcile that. But also for me, it's kind of, um, cause I'm, I'm a creative sort of at heart. Like I feel like I'm a bit of an artist at heart. So for me, I need like a six hour block to work. I can't like, I'm going to, I'm going to work 20 minutes here and then I'm going to go take care of the baby. Yeah, for it doesn't work. Then I'm coming back for 10 minutes and I'm like, I need even emails. Like I don't answer emails when they come to my phone. I need to be like sitting down at my computer, iPad, whatever it is, and having like a time block to thoughtfully respond. Um, that g- goes with my writing. Um, that goes with my content creation, everything. And so that's been a problem for me. I don't know if it's the same for you. Like, how do you, do you need like an eight it's hour block? It's the exact same. It's the exact same. And my, my wife is actually, so she, she does management consulting and she's like a machine to the point where when, if she has like a 30 minute block, she can turn it on immediately and like use 28 of those minutes extremely productively. And then at the 30 minute mark, turn off and be like, all right, I'll pick it up. She's so good at that. I can't do that. Like I need, it's, it's like, it sounds woo woo of like, I need to get in a state, but it's more just like, you need to, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to shift your brain fully on, at least for me, to like shift yeah. it fully on to whatever topic I'm doing. And then, and then I want three hours to like go down the rabbit hole. Like the best stuff is at the bottom of the hole. So if every 20 minutes, you're just like coming out, coming out, you just never go low enough to find the goal. So yeah, it's a struggle for me too. That's why I, I try to like block my days. So as soon as I wake up, I take care of all my health. So like I, I do the gym right away. And oh, I, I get saw your tweet in. on this. I saw your tweet on this. I wanted you to expand on this because I think you actually have it. You kind of, you got to, got it unlock. I want to hear, hear more about it. Yeah. I have a good flow, but that's the thing is like, we're, we're probably going to have a, a kid in two years. And then as soon as you have a kid, it throws, I think it throws all the schedules and routines. Forget Cause you're just like, it. yeah, forget. Yeah. Then it's just it. like, yeah. you're a firefighter that that's like, you just become a firefighter. So for me right now, it's kind of like the most important thing in terms of like, I think about priming my my brain and body. So it's like, if I want to get the most out, I have to prime myself. Like if I don't sleep well, I don't have caffeine. I don't eat. I'm just, the systems are just running on like 70% capacity. So I kind of figured like to get them to a hundred, what do I need? And like my body personally just like craves exercise. So if I don't work out in the morning and I'm, I'm trying to like not, I don't really do the meditation. I do a little bit of breath work and I work out. That's it. I try not to have this like four hour routine. But once I get home from the gym, my brain is like turned on and I, yeah. I'll, I'll shower and I'll end it with cold water. And so as soon as I come out of the cold water, I'm like, all right, let's go. And I, I usually sit down around like 10, I'd say 930 or 10, depending on how early I can get up. And then I've got that block from 10 to, you know, I'll go get coffee at like maybe 1230, but that's the only break I take 10 and like six. So that's really helpful now. And, and like I said, my wife works, we only have a dog. So, you, you know, he can lay there for, for six hours without like, <laughs> attention so it's it's so much more helpful but that's one of the one of the i think like when you become a parent i'm guessing obviously it's like the best thing in the world you would never trade it ever like you're just like this is the this is the pinnacle but before you're a parent like where my head is now the one thing that's like holding me back from doing it right now is just like can i make the most out of this you know nine to 18 month window i have before everything gets chaotic and maybe maybe i'm being too short-sighted and like the trade-off is still not worth it like you should i should just have a kid right now. So that that's that's what that's why I'm curious to, to hear from you because of course like the backdrop you would never trade it. You you'd never ever trade it. But like most people don't talk about the struggle that you get in those first twelve months of yeah. like the push and pull mentally of wanting to hang out with your daughter, wanting to do work, not being able to do what you want and like the stress on you, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you, first of all, like what you said is so true. Like now that I, I talk to like, uh, you know, especially younger dudes without a kid, I'm like, go out there and dominate the world right now. Just because when you yeah. have a kid, like, and by the way, like having a kid is incredibly challenging It because you're like, if you're a good parent, like it, having a kid is a breeze if you're going to be a deadbeat dad, no problem. But if you want to be like an actual great parent and a leader of your family and like design your life and, and be there as a, you know, as a provider and a supporter and a leader, like it's, it's, uh, it's unavoidable. A lot of your time is going to be dedicated to it. Right. And so if you know that going in, it's a little bit easier. Like I knew I was, I, I knew when I had my daughter, I was like the rest of the year, um, I'm even willing to take off. Like I just had no problem with that. Not that I'm necessarily in a position to be able to do that, you know, cause I still got to grind. There's still a lot of things that I want to accomplish, a lot of things that I want to achieve, but I had that understanding that I'm going to give myself that grace period. So I think if you go into it, knowing what's at stake and even then you're never going to truly know because like you're like oh when i have a kid i'll, I'll figure out a, a schedule or anybody saying that forget it it's impossible because there will be nights that you do not get an ounce of sleep that you're waking up yeah, every 30 and then minutes it ruins the next day and then it's like so if you're like i'm still going to go to the gym every morning at 6 a.m forget it because some days you're going to yeah. not even go to sleep until 8 30 a.m and then even then you're going to it's it's crazy man it's um it's as advertised Cause I had this sort of hubris where I'm like, and eh, I'll be fine. I can, I can do it. I mean, you know, dudes 50 years ago were storming Normandy. Like how hard can this be? Yeah. You know? Um, but it is, man, it's as advertised. It really is just that challenging. Dude, but, you're but, storming Normandy every morning. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. the thing at yeah. home. But the good thing though, about your stuff that I think is you're every time you put a piece out, it's, it's above that quality bar so that for you. And this is what we should talk about is like, if you only do two videos a week versus five, I feel like you're, the audience isn't growing as fast. Of course, I think that's like more of just a mass game, unless the two you put out are just bangers. But you're like keeping the stove warm, I guess, is a way to think about it, where you might be getting 90% of the value, like of the audience retention value from two videos instead of five. And like, maybe for now, that extra time you would have made those three, that's going to your, but in the future, when she's at daycare or school, that's three the three video slot could go to something else, right? Like a different project that could compound. So that's what I want to talk to you about is like the thing you said at the beginning resonated so deeply is we put these artificial time benchmarks on ourselves. Like when I started making content, I was like, I had a blank slate. I could have said one video a week. I could have said one video an hour. I, so I chose, I was like, let me try to do one video a day. I like set that artificial benchmark. No one told me to, I just set that in my mind. And then now, like when I don't hit it, I feel bad. Like I created this self-work deficit from not hitting this bullshit benchmark. And the thing is, you don't know what the right benchmark is. That's, that's what we should talk about is right now I'm at like four to five videos a week and I'm spending way too much time. Like I'm not as efficient as you at doing it. I spend like three to four hours per video. It's like way too long. And if they miss, I'm like, God damn, I spent like a whole day's worth of capacity on something missed. So what do you think is the right I, it's as for a channel, but like, what's your sense for what's the right amount? I've been dying to talk about this with you because I, I think this is such a fascinating conversation that may need like 20 pods just to even like start breaking through. Um, but the quantity versus quality debate, and like you said, it's so there are so many variables. It depends on what kind of creator you are, what your intentions are, um, you know, because there are creators out there that that their sole intention is just to to get more people into their funnel, get more people into their machine. So it's like lead magnet after lead magnet. They don't really care how a piece of content performs because they're they're not necessarily creating for their audience. They're creating for discovery, for new people to come in, to get sucked into their to their machine and then sell whatever offer they have in the back end. And then there are there are some creators 
that, and I, by the way, I think this is the right way to do it, but I understand why people don't put in the work because it takes years and years. But there are some creators that are like, no, I am an artist. I'm just going to create the dopest shit possible. And what happens is over time, people build so much affinity towards you that they'll just buy whatever you want. So you're actually going to make more money in the long term and it's more lucrative and your brand is, is just going to be, you know, 100x more paramount. If you do it this way, it just takes a lot longer. So some examples that come to mind are like Casey Neistat, Marques Brownlee. There's a dope creator that I love, Shorts, on Instagram. I think he's basically Shorts only, Carl Shakur. And yeah, he's sick. He's like, out. It's not, it's not like lead magnet after lead magnet. It's not like bullshit, like just, just trying to get people in the funnel into the machine. It's like they're just creating incredible stuff. And over a long enough period of time, they build so much affinity and such a, such a crazy sort of cult audience that then it's like they're going to make way more money than they would have taken the short-term route, which is, by the way, it's enticing, right? Because it's, it's kind of like easy money. But I guess what I'm trying to say, it really depends on the creator, what your long-term goals are, what you like to do, what kind of content you're making. But I want to throw the question back to you because the kind of content that we make as an example, do you think it's better to just churn out more and more and more, even if you're kind of lowering the quality standard? Or is it better to just like make one or two incredible videos per week that we're spending like 50 hours on? What, what, what is uh, your kind of thought process behind that? I mean, my, my gut leans towards the quality over quantity and like dropping the quantity. And one kind of like North Star bet you know, bench, benchmark or metric that I think of is like, am I excited to make the same? So like this mm. conversation, I was looking forward to this podcast for like four days naturally. And I, it's because I think I, I like this medium the most where you're just like riffing back and forth. So it's like, okay, we could do this probably two or three times a week and still have that same intensity. If we did it every single day, seven days a week, we'd probably lose the interest, like the novelty would wear off. Oh. So that tells me that the right quantity for the input is like two to three times a week or whatever we feel inspired to do. So that's for this long form. When I think about the short form, part of me is like, okay, whenever you're inspired, make a video. And there's so much interesting shit happening that if I'm primed and I see something, I'm like, well, I'm inspired. Like, and I, I should make yeah. one. But I do think we should probably like the thing I've been thinking about is the the atomic unit of success in content is share rate to me. So like how many people out of a hundred share the thing you make with a friend because if that's how the virality goes and like really that's the best sign that you made something that resonates with your audience that they actually want to put their reputation on sharing it with a friend so if you just churn and burn high quantity by nature i feel like that share rate's going to go down because you won't have put as much intensity and effort and inspiration into the idea it becomes commoditized less people less people are like deeply connected with it it doesn't feel new and so for me, is like with the short form medium, I kind of think less is more. And my behavior doesn't really match that yet because I just put out five videos last week. And I honestly felt like a robot putting them out. Like I was just like, oh, I was inspired by the things I talked about, like the Grok. And I made a video about like what I think the future of technology looks like. I was inspired by those things. But the act of like creating that package and putting it out, I'm like, is this really like new novel? Like, is this going to cut through? Some of them, when I put them out, I'm not even excited by the time I go to put them out. And so I'm like divorced from the idea of the result. So yeah, I don't know. I, the, the problem though is like, if, if you take that too far and you're just like, I'm an artist, I'm going to make one per week, you can't get, the machine won't spin fast enough for you right. to grow. That's the issue, right? And flops hit a lot harder. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because if you're flopping, but you're putting out five a week, one of those is bound to hit whatever. But if you're going to spend, you know, two, three weeks on something and it flops, that, I think that's a lot more uh, hard, harder to stomach. So like if you make five videos or I make five videos, we're basically saying 
we don't know if any of these are superstar videos. We're hedging because just in case if we were to make one and it flops, we like lost the whole week. We're hedging. So it's kind of like if you don't want to hedge, you should drop the quantity and like go all in on just a couple ideas. Yeah, dude, so many thoughts coming to mind because, and I'll just try to be as like transparent and vulnerable in, into my process as, as possible, right? But there's like, I'm, I'm kind of being pulled into two different directions. One is like, I could be sort of the news guy and I could just drop a lot of news. I like it a lot less. I actually don't like it. It doesn't, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel like this anxiety where I'm like, bro, why am I doing this? You know, Me too. Like, like, I just, I don't love it. But I know if that I leaned into it and I'm putting like 15 pieces of content a week, it's going to hit. My machine's going to grow. My audience is going to grow. I think it just becomes a lot harder to make money on the back end of that, A. And so part of me, I know that I'm doing this. Part of it is for the economic incentive, right? For the financial benefits. Because I I do feel like I'm a bit of a hybrid. Like I'm half artist, half like business person. Yeah. Right? So I don't just want to create for the love of creating, even though I do love doing that. I understand I'll have to provide for my family and I do have like greater ambitions. And I know that money is a tool and there's a lot of great things that I want to do to kind of like, you know, leave a legacy, push the world forward. So so I'm like half and half. So on the other side of that equation is like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to make the dopest possible movies. Like I want to go out there and really just make movies like hire people and just make incredibly cinematic short pieces of content. That's not selling anything. It's just like creating for the love of creating. So I'm trying to find like the sweet spot in the middle. And I think it's a little bit difficult also because I don't have like a, uh, a set. I have, I have several offers, right? Like I have like a lot of things going on that I can kind of lean, uh, you know, whether it be tone studio or a Luna or this new product called pulse that we got going on, or maybe bring people to this, to this podcast or do numbers for brand deals, whatever. There are several things that I can like offer, but I don't have like this one central strategy yet. Right now, my strategy is just to collect as much data as possible, get it, you know, get as good as I can at making videos. And then I'm, I'm in no rush, right? I just want to build my brand equity. I just want to make sure that people trust me and that they know that I'm going to deliver as, as, as dope as shit as possible. And so I'm a little like conflicted right now, right? And the other thing that, and then, and then I want to, um, uh, you know, I, I want to like pick your thoughts on this too. But the other thing that I'm thinking of too, is right now brand deals, you and I, our inboxes are flooded, right? And these are pretty lucrative deals. These are like, Hey, I'll pay you 10 K for a short that you syndicate to TikTok, And I'm leaving a lot of this money on the table. And like, part of me now there's like this other anxiety where he's like, is this stupid to do? Like, should I be like, this is incredible that the fact that I can even make 20 or 30 K a month, just pumping out brand deals. But I'm like, is the long term, does it diminish my brand? Is if I if I leave all this money on the table for a year or two, is the long term potential? But I don't know. Right. And so I'm trying to reconcile all this stuff in real time, because like I said, I'm still pretty new to being a creator, at least a personal creator. So I want to like I want to bring the question over to you. How do you reconcile all this stuff? Like, how do you think of yourself as a brand and how do you manage the push pull between the artist and the businessman side of you? Yeah, I mean, this this hits so so this is like 100 percent bullseye lock like i feel the exact same way and yeah it's like this it's 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 the constant what if game right it's like the what if i took the brand deal path would that dilute my brand equity the the thing i wrote about this week is like you can't you don't get to play the counterfactual in this game so like you pick a path but you don't get to know what happened if you pick the other path unless you fully retreat out and go the other way so that's what makes it tough this is and you know now now we're like a unit you know, in terms of this, this media brand with the podcast and like, this is a good like strategy brainstorm for us because I think this is what I'm thinking. First, you have to set like, what's the financial goal? Like if we were trying to make a billion dollars, that's one path for me. Like all I really want is like 
I mean, this all I really want. This I want two to eight million in cash flow per year, anywhere in there. I mean, that that sounds insane to most people listening, but like ten years from now, I want two to eight million in cash flow, and I want to be do spending as much of my day doing something, ideally all of my day doing something I'm interested in, like that I love to do, like making dope shit. That's it. That's all I want. So for me, like that's kind of it's good to have that. What's the financial outcome you're going for? So that means like cash flowing businesses. But you can't get there on just brand deals. You can't get the two to eight million just on brand deals unless you're Marquez Brownlee. But that it took him like ten years, you know, of just maybe doing that. So first, you have to set the the target. I would say, and before I go into it, would you say that target's kind of like similar for you, or you want a bigger out? You want you want to sell something for like under I have more of a like a long winded response to that. So maybe I'll let you finish your thought, and then I'll and then I'll kind of let you know what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. So basically, if I can get to like you know, two to eight million per year in cash flow and I could run that forever doing something I love, I it'd be a dream for me. And so yeah. knowing that, I'm basically like, okay, what are the options or like paths to get there? And based on the path, how do you marry that with like what I want to do? So I'm similar to you where like I would love a lot of my time to be spent on like big swing, cool projects, you know, like making movies, making products, making like physical pro whatever, whatever it is, right? But these are like almost like half art, half business. Like you want it to do well, but you're like really taking a swing. That's what I want to spend the majority of my time doing. So what that means is like we need to build a cash flow machine on the on something else that can basically keep us alive until those big swings hit or don't hit. And so knowing that as the backdrop is helpful because then it's like, okay, let's focus on building the cash flow machine. It's like what are the options to build the cash flow machine? I don't I don't think brand deals alone can work because it's just you will end up being like a farm of ad content and that's all you do. And to get to the like two to eight million in cash flow, that's a that's a shit ton of brand deals. So that's not really gonna work. Uh you could combine kind of like more passive ads. Like I would say this podcast, when it grows, like four years from now, we'll probably be getting like thirty thousand dollars per ad placement. And like if we do two episodes a week with four ads per episode, that's gonna that alone could be like close to it. I don't really view that as a brand deal because we're already having this conversation. We're just plugging the ad, much less like we have to go out and have a net new conversation for the brand deal. So that's kind of like right now, I'm like, that's a really interesting path where you see a lot of these podcasts don't talk about the numbers. They are making two to $5 million in profit with like almost no expenses. So, or in revenue with no expenses. So that's that's another. Then you could take the like some of, some of the things you've tried so far, which is like more of a software digital product SaaS. Now, the, for me, like there's a lot, I would love to do that. I don't have the technical ability myself, so I need to partner with the team, but there's a lot of upfront war and risk and capital spent in to get those to cash flow. So without going like too long-winded, basically the the answer is I want to do dope shit over here that takes a while that's not going to pay. So I need to build a cash flow engine over here to pay for those things and also pay for my life. That that cash flow engine doesn't have to be two to eight million itself, but it has to be most of the way there. So what are the options for that cash flow engine? I'm curious how you... This episode will go out, I think, when it's live. I, I wrote about this on, on my newsletter this week. It's, it's going to probably launch tomorrow morning, which is um, Tuesday. But it's this idea of... We all know what product market fit is, right? And that's kind of like what what every entrepreneur in the world is is trying to achieve. Um, I think as a creator, like there's this new idea of uh, product content fit. So we've seen a million people do it, right? It's like the Mr. Beast model, the Nelk Boys model. Uh, there's a there's a, a really dope creator that I follow that I was just DMing with named Alex Costa. Um, you may know him. I'm sure a lot of people may know him who does like uh, 
men's fitness, uh, men's skin fashion care, stuff. talks about like men's hair, fashion, all this kind of stuff. And so he built a company called Forte Series because he's like, listen, I need to figure out something that is so organic and so naturally fitting into the content that I'm already putting out that's going to build me enterprise value. And I talk about this a lot. Like every creator should really be aiming for or really be aiming to make money while they sleep. Meaning yeah. brand deals are great and they can be incredibly lucrative. You know, I have, I have people that I know that are making six figures a month on brand deals, but you're still trading your time for money. And that's not the, the, uh, that's not the right formula for long-term wealth creation, right? You got to figure out something that is going to make you money while you sleep. Something that's building enterprise value that then you could piece off from your brand and sell for a five to eight X multiple in their yearly revenue yeah. or a beta, like depending on a lot of variables, yada, 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 whatever. But when I, when I think of my content, I also want to make this point too. If I just wanted to make like a million a year and that's it. And that was my only goal. I would become a farm. I would just batch my content. I would have an info product on the back of that. I would build out my, uh, my lead magnet, lead gen, you know, funnel machine. And I would just become this annoying asshole. That's just like getting people into machine, da, 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 da. not giving a shit about any of the comments. Just have like my four tweets a day, two LinkedIn's per day, you know, like, I'd, I'd be like one of those guys, everything like scheduled everything, you know, and, um, there's nothing wrong with that because, and I see why people do it. I'm like sometimes enticed. Should I be doing this? Because it's the easy, I think it's the path path of least resistance in a way. So it's funny, if you want to just become a millionaire with content, it's the, the path to get there is much different than if you want to do that five to eight million dollar cash flow machine, right? You're not going to be doing that with, unless you're like the top of the top, yep. you're not going to be doing that uh, likely with info product. And so what I want to do is the same as you. I would love to have that five million dollar plus cash flow machine that allows me to just create the stuff like that's the dream right five million in cash flow that allows me to just create the stuff that i love to create anyways that just like fulfills me that wakes me up with passion and energy every morning and that all compounds over time the audience compounds the trust that i have with the affinity blah 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 that is the dream and so how do i plan on doing that that's the thing like right now i know i first of all i know that you and i are going to do it like i just yeah it's I, been decided that's going to happen been decided it's been decided. I don't, I don't know exactly how that looks like, but I have a rough idea. And the rough idea is just to, to, to make the best content that I can possible and really just build that affinity with the audience. It's as easy as that. It's building your brand and your brand equity over time. I think I can do that for two, three, four, five years. I think we can do it together on this podcast, et cetera, da, 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 da. And I know that we'll eventually find that uh, product content fit that the audience is just going to love and be delight and like just be sharing and the word of mouth is going to, is going to get turbocharged. And, and I have a few ideas already of how we can do that. But I do know that I'm going to be building shit for the next five years, shipping fast, failing fast until I find the right ideas and the right products that when they hit the market, I think they'll just be incredibly rich in MRR, um, allowing me to, to kind of like pursue my creative freedoms. And I, I know that's a, a bit convoluted of an answer, but that's kind of how I think. No, about I, I think about it the same way. And I, I was going to say, like, you know why the, the like content farm info product thing is a bad idea? Because, you know, when you see something like dope and like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you're just like, this is sick. Mm -hmm. The hairs on the back of your neck are not standing up when you're selling a course for $2.99 and you're just like churning out content. They just don't. It's like life is about chasing those moments where, when someone interacts with something you made or watches something you made and the hair on the back of their neck stands up, that's sick. Like that's what it's all about. So that was one thing I want to say. The other thing is I feel like if you and I become two of the top 10 most trusted people for like 
what's dope right now in X category. And right now, those categories that we care about are like tech, AI, VR, creator, entrepreneurship. We both like fashion, design. Like there's a lot of categories that we we both overlap and care about. But like in my head, it's just like, if we become two of the most trusted to the user, not to the brands, to the users, we'll win eventually because we'll just keep swimming in the pool long enough. That trust will keep building long enough where when we launch a product four years from now, we'll go from zero to two million in ARR in two months because that trust will convert. It's, it's like we're just like depositing trust coins in the bank to spend later. And mm-hmm. I think like in my head and probably in your head and most people's head, it's like as soon as you get a trust coin, everybody wants to spend the trust, like cash it in and get real money out. Like the, I have a little bit of trust, cash it in. But I actually think a better path and honestly a more fun game is just let's accumulate those trust coins for years build this huge stack. And then when the opportunity presents itself, like it could be three years from now, Apple comes out with a Vision Pro 3 and that's the one that's consumer marketing. And we're the ones who build the software platform that allow kids and every retail brand to like have their stores online. And the reason we're the ones who built it is because we were on the edges for the whole time. We knew more than anybody else about it. And we were able to attract developer talent to build like that. It could be that, right? And as soon as we launched that, all of a sudden that trust, all the kids, chief product officers who are listening to us for the last three years, that trust that we can cash that in, in like a very sustainable and trustworthy way. And to me, like that's, I think that's how you build big businesses. That's how you build the cash flow machine. Absolutely. I mean, I was listening to, uh, we just followed each other. We haven't had a conversation yet, but on, on TikTok, a guy named Chris Donnelly, that's what he's been doing. So he, 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 uh, he just raised, I think, uh, at a $150 million valuation for his health tech company. Um, and he made a TikTok saying the reason that he was able to do that, and especially in such a, like right now, the climate is pretty dry when it comes to, to venture capital. But he said he was able to get a meeting with all the top firms because he's creating business content that these VCs are actually consuming on a daily basis. And so I've been seeing that now in a small way where I have a lot of like, I, I don't want to like drop their names, but a lot of really sort of like known VCs that like hit me up. Uh, about something that I'll cover and they'll like, hey, I appreciate your thoughts on this. Can I ask you? Like they're, they're trying to get like my temperature on certain things. Like so the Humane Pin was one of them. So I had a couple of VCs who are actually investors in the Humane Pin and they wanted to like, we, we talked back and forth about it. And so it's like you say, like that's going to add up and eventually we're going to become like these thought leaders in this space, like this tech creator land space. And I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. So I want to ask you the question, like who out there or can you even think of examples that you think have done this right? Like who are... I guess sort of like your role models that are that are kind of that have paved the path that you think like who's cracked this model? Well, I think the the model of basically like make content in a vertical, build max trust, launch a product, like that model. I think there's a lot of a lot of women creators on the like health, wellness, beauty side have done this. So like the a one that one that comes to mind is um the girl who made Divi. You know what Divi is, the like hair serum? No. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. My wife follows her like religiously. Uh, her name is, I could find it, but basically she created, you know, she's like one of those like female lifestyle influencers. I think she lives in Texas. She was creating just like normal content about her life and like going, growing up in her twenties and she had kids and became like kind of like family content, which that alone is not really novel. Or her name is Danny Austin, Danny Austin. And I, I think they had her on my first million, but my wife was talking about her way before that because my wife started buying the Divi. So Divi is basically a all natural hair serum that is like beautifully branded and kind of, it's not just for women, but it's targeted at women who are have hair thinning. 
from whatever it is, COVID right. stress, whatever it could be. But a lot of that's actually like a, a micro trend right now is a lot of women hair is thinning like way more than it was before. And so it could be it could be a number of things. But this girl had her hair just started falling out one day, and she was like document making her content was her life. So she's like making content was like really embarrassed by it, and, like had wigs and was like trying to hide it and stuff. And she was she was breaking down internally. But the whole time she was like making content before that, just like lifestyle building and building trust. And then she launches Dibby, which I'm sure she was using some like pharmaceutical option before. And it was like, yo, none of these are healthy. Let's let's launch this hair hair serum. Her husband it was in tech, kind of like a, uh, I think he was like a product manager type role in tech. So her husband quit his job and was like, all right, I'm going to run that. I'm going to be operative. And Dibby is insane. Like this, the, I, I think I want to say the revenue per year is enough like close to $100 million per year range. It's a perfect, it's like a supplement, high margin, recurring revenue. It's, it's, it checks every box. and But it's actually like authentic and natural tires. So that's one example. Um, I feel like Alex, I was going to ask you about Alex Costa. Can, can you talk about Forte? Is Forte a skincare line or what? what is, what is uh, Forte? It's, uh, it's skincare and hair care. Okay. For men. Yeah. And he's, he's obviously going to be slowly expanding and he's going to turn it into like a multi-product empire, right? So... Uh, I think that's going to be a huge exit for him, you know, nine figure plus and few or whenever, if if ever he decides that that that's the route that he wants to take. Nelk did this really well. I mean, they pretty much off the clothing line was able to monetize, but now they've done the supplements and they've done uh, like full send everything, and then they launched the podcast off it. I just think the the answer is you have to find the content audience fit at first, like you said, and build max trust. So, like for us, it's going to be builders, creators, entrepreneurs, makers, like people who are interested in startups basically i want to build max emerging tr- yeah tech emerging well, emerging think, tech as, as a, as a exactly and, and we basically just build max trust with those people and we'll find the need like we will find something that they need whether it's physical or digital and i think that's i, I kind of fall into this trap like i said before of trying to jump the gun in terms of like what businesses can i build on top of this attention but i think that might be the wrong approach i think the right approach is like how do i deepen this attention and wait and wait you know, play another day later when, when an opportunity comes. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it now. But the interesting thing though, the question I have for you is like, we will be able, you and I as a collective individually, whatever, we'll be able to do a lot of things on the way. So like, I guarantee when we're on episode 20 of this, you and I could launch a fund. Like we could raise a fund of like 10 to 20 million. That's like one option. We could create a media network, which we'll probably do. We could create a partner network with like a bunch of other creators and you could go to the list like you and I will very, very quickly be able to do like five to 10 things. And it's like, and those will happen in stair step in terms of like four years from now, we could build X, but like even six months from now, we can do the fund or whatever. So the question is like, which of those shiny objects are wish are worth us entertaining at all? Or, or do we just go head down and just go media for a while? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the uh, when I look at the landscape of the top creators, and and then, by the way, I want to give two more examples of, of what you were just talking about. But I, when I look at this landscape, everybody's been putting in the work for so many years. The, I think the quickest path to failure as a creator is being in a rush, is being in a rush to monetize and cashing that attention for, for dollars. Because when I look at even Nelk Boys, I think, what, they probably eight, nine, ten years into the game before they decided to ship their own yeah, products. Yeah. They were very thoughtful about it. They just, like, they could have, the seltzer, like, they were they were repping Ronas, man. They were always, like, you know, partying, drinking the Rona, the Corona, Corona. And in my head, I was like, bro, why are they 
plugging Corona so much that should be plugging their own thing. But they, they didn't rush to do it. They wanted to make sure that the infrastructure was in place. They wanted to make sure that they did it thoughtfully. And every single creator, like, really worth a damn, like, the top of the top, the greats, this is what they did, right? Like you were saying, they built that trust machine. They collected these trust coins for years and years and years and years on end. It's the same as in product, right? In product, like the, the old mantra is like, hey, the, the easiest part is to monetize. The first part is to get like a really active audience that loves the product, that continues to come back. It's really sticky. They're telling their friends about it. No rush on the monetization, right? That's sort of like the old uh, Silicon Valley kind of process over the last like 20 plus years. And so that's kind of how I think about content as well. Like I'm really not in a rush. Granted, it's, you know, if I was like really kind of struggling to pay my rent and I had to take these brand deals and I had to do these things, I completely understand that as well. But I still have like a little bit of a pocket to, to afford myself the luxury of, you know, just really kind of building this affinity. And then two other creators that have come to mind, like speaking of badass women creators, my friend JT Barnett, probably yeah, yeah. his... Uh, his girlfriend, Sammy Clark. Sammy Clark. Oh my God, what a killer. So she's been creating incredible, yeah, dude, creating incredible fitness content, like really building that trust and rapport with the audience. Finally, five, 10 plus, whatever, however many years in the game, she's built form and she's going to crush. Like this is, this is, I it's mean, crushing. this is her, she's going gonna to have a big exit if she wanted again, or she could just, it could, this is what she loves and she wants to build it the rest of her life. Maybe she never wants to sell it. It's just like a cash uh, flowing operation for her. Another one that, that came to mind, and it's funny because we're kind of like competing against her, uh, but Teza, I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with Teza. Yeah. And her editing app, I saw in TechCrunch like a few months ago, they're making 30 million plus a year. And Teza was the same thing. I think just making dope content for like eight years, supporting yourself off brand deals, of course, why not? Because it fits so so seamlessly into her content. And then it's like, okay, it's time to build a product. Um, and I'm doing that now too. I co-founded an app, Tone Studio with Jack Morris, Gypsy Lust, and we're doing the same thing. And I've seen that subscriber base grow and grow and grow, and they're really dedicated to it now. I think that's going to be maybe not doing Tesla numbers, but it's going to be really valuable. And if they wanted to, they could exit that, piece it off, exit again for a five to eight X yearly multiple. And I'm like, this is the model. That's the model. This is the model. And all of these people that have been able to crack this model, none of them are new, man. They're, they've all been putting in work and work. And that just goes back to the thing I always say. There are no overnight successes. There are overnight successes 10 years in the making. And so... Me, I am 15 plus years in the game, but nine or 11 months now as a creator. And so I cannot be in a rush. Yeah. That's kind of the way that I think about it. I'm, I'm still like, I think this year and next are still very much like data gathering periods. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, like, that's the interesting so. thing about it is when Jack Morris and all these guys started, there were no like people 10 years ahead that had waited 10 years to monetize there because they were the, they were at the forefront. So it's right. like, they didn't get distracted about like, Oh, what can we build that will sell for a hundred million? Because there was no playbook. So their only option was to put right. their head down. And I kind of think that was a gift, right? That was a gift that they, of course, when they started, they started, but like Good they point. were able to go so, so long without monetizing because they didn't know anything else. Now, the problem is people today who are starting are looking at them and being like, yo, these guys are making so much money. Like I can do what they do. It's like, yeah, but you don't really understand it. Like under the water of the iceberg is so much of the work that they did and they didn't have an option yes. to not do it. One other thing I was going to say about Sammy Clark. So this is a perfect example of what we we're saying. So my wife's been following her. I'm sure your wife follows her. Like every, every, oh, yeah. every girl she, I know. She was just doing her workout. Yesterday. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife paints to the thing too. Yeah. And I was like, she was following her for a while, like 2016, 2015, whatever. And then this is a perfect example of like, building the trust coins and then cashing in when the opportunity strikes. So when COVID happened, basically Sammy Clark saw that all these women were at home, couldn't go to the gym, couldn't go to the classes. They 
And so the opportunity was for her to host, most were free, but like she did some like you pay 20 bucks and do the Zoom thing. And so she had been building those trust coins for so long that when that opportunity presented itself, she she could cash in. I think she made a ton just from doing that. And that was the baseline of form. Like I think that gave her the signal to be like, oh, wow, there are you know, 4,000 women across the country that are going to pay 20 bucks for one of my classes. Like imagine if I built this into an app with all these different classes, whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that is what we're saying is you kind of just have to like stay alive long enough for the opportunity to come. And and what you said is the reason people cash in too soon, I think, is because they, they jump into the creator without any safety net, like financial safety net. Like they jump in, they're, they're more or less broke or like they have six months of expenses. They jump in, they're like, I'm going to make this work. And then when the money runs out, they start making short-term decisions. And so I wonder if, if right. you think a, an advantage or, or a playbook for a creator is keep your job and start making stuff on the side for a while and kind of like build up that reserve. And once you have the reserve big enough where you can actually go at it for two years, three years without shortcutting, then go full-time. What do you think about that? You know, it's always funny when you give advice, but you don't follow it. It's like easier to give advice and not follow it. So like my advice is a traditional advice. Don't quit your job until you have, you know, six months of savings stocked up and until like you have until your idea is validated, until you really have like that product market fit, right? Until say maybe you're making 60% of your salary and you're like, okay, this is going to work. Let me go all in. Um, but I didn't really follow that advice. Like I've never really taken a, a salary. The, the last time I had a salary, well, no, I did for a few months when I, when I was like 26. I did go and work for a startup just because like they were offering a lot of money and equity and the benefits of a good startup didn't end up working out. But I didn't really kind of take my own advice, right? I love being back against the wall. I just got to make this work. And uh, if I don't make this work, I'm going to go broke. Like that's enough of a motivator. I love that. I love that shit. Yeah, my advice is, yeah, have six months in the bank. Make sure that your idea is validated. If you've never made a piece of content, if you've never been successful at making content, don't just expect you're going to crack it because it does take a long, long time, sometimes years and years and years. Uh, and you have to have that patience and resilience to stick with it. So yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to give advice here. Cause I didn't, I didn't necessarily follow my own advice. Yeah. I, I did keep my job for a while. Like I had a job. I didn't want to, I like written and bared it. I hated it, but I, I had a job. I started making content right around the same time you did. Like we'll say like September of 2022. And I started, and it really did not work until like December. Like I spent three or four months of like nothing. And then which, which, by the way, that's an outlier. Yeah, I was lucky that it hit. It usually takes years and years. So I don't want anybody listening to be like, oh, it just takes two months. I, I got two months. Yeah. Because that's an outlier. I was planning on on working the job and keeping at it until it worked. So however long that took. But then once it started working, I basically got to the point where I, I wasn't doing a ton of brand deals, but I kind of wanted to do a few to like test what my market value was. And it got to the point where my market value for the brand deals was worth more than what I was getting paid. And at that point, I was like, okay, do I have enough saved where I can go at this for three years? And then I quit. So it's like, and I was the outlier. Like you said, that like six, it took me six months to get to a point where I quit. That is very rare. I'm very blessed for that. But because of that, I don't really even have the skills yet to like make the dopest shit. Like I can, what I'm making is the top of my skills. Like I haven't even learned, I haven't even had the chance to put the reps in to learn. So I'm kind of like a good example of someone who got lucky with a tailwind, but now my skills don't match the attention that I'm getting. And so I'm I'm like busting my ass to try to bridge that skill gap. And that, that's another benefit of waiting is like, if you really want to do this, the only way you should do it is if you authentically like it. Because if you don't authentically like it, you're not going to have the willpower to stick it out. It's over. It's yeah, over. It's, 
you, you're going to burn out 100% of the time no matter what. You've got to love yeah. it. So I loved it, but I didn't have the skills. So I was like, all right, I got I to gotta try to build the skills. And I would, I, would, I would say that like I got lucky with some things that hit and my skills were, you know, slower to come up. So I'm still in the trend. Like I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, oh, same, I'm a blue belt or same. whatever. I don't even know what the belts are, but I'm a low, low belt. But I'm perpetually in the trenches forever. I know that until the day that I die, I'll be in the trenches. Just because I have like, again, we'll get into it in another podcast, but I feel like I lost 10 years of my life uh, in my 20s. And so I always have like this chip on my shoulder, I'm behind mentality no matter what. And even if in the next five years, I get to that point that we talked about where we're five to $8 million a year cash flow, we're living super comfortably, loving, da, 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 da. I'm always going to have that uh, mentality. Like I'm behind, I need more. I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. I use it as fuel. Um, you know, but that's yet to be yeah. determined. But I, I want to go back. You, you said something so interesting, man, about like, okay, the, the, the class of 2013, 2014, they didn't have that data. They didn't have the people to look out for. It was like a very new game. That I feel for people, I understand why creators are in a rush now. I don't actually think it's, it's so much like I got to put food on the table. There is some of that, but I think it's more right now, the content that's really working and resonating. And by the way, I think it's a massive bubble and it's just going to, it's, just going to be like a cringe fest that I roll and people are going to be trained to skip it soon. But what's working right now is like, here's how I made $50,000. Yeah. The process is more important than the product. So what's actually more valuable is not building the SaaS that makes you the money. It's showing other people how you built the SaaS that made it blah, blah, blah. And I see this in content now too, where people are like, why are you posting content without an offer? Why are you posting content without a lead gen? Or a and I'm like, this is so misguided, but I get it because it works, right? You're it's, it's first of all, like, Thank goodness I know the game. Otherwise, I'd be like, I'd, I'd be so anxious, like consuming this type of content. But I know the game. I know what these people are doing. The better question might be, why is it working now better than it used to? Because I do feel like before it was kind of known, like these people that are, it's like, okay, this is snake oil. Like before it was kind of like, like, here, dude, here's something I've been wrapping my head around. When Ty Lopez came out and did this, everybody was like, this is a scam. But now we have all these Twitter influencers are doing the exact same thing. It's just packaged up a little bit nicer. It's like the branding is nicer, right? But I'm like, so yeah, why is it working now? But it, that's actually a good question. I'm going to send that one back to you because I don't have any answers at the top of my head. I mean, the, the my gut is, my gut is that the resilience of builders has gone down over time because they've been exposed to enough winners. Like we were saying, in 2008, when mm, Uber was created or Airbnb was created, they didn't have a lot of what they had, like Intel or what, like they, they didn't have IBM. They didn't have a lot of winners to look at to like warp their mind. Yep. People today have so many winners, so many proof points. They, it, tough to like, like I think Alex Hart. And everybody's a creator. Exactly. Right? Exa they see every, like yeah. even, even the stuff we post, like if, if sometimes I like the stories I post and I'm not like bullshit. That's like my actual life. But like, I try to zoom out sometimes. And if I'm a normal person watching, it, I'm like, damn, that person's life is so good. I'm like, yo, I'm living it. Like, it's not as good as you think. Like, it, I'm blessed, but like, it's it's nothing out of the ordinary. But I just think like the way, the way people look at con, they're just overstimulating their mind. And so with builders yeah, today, I think it, bro. You nailed it. that's probably it, right? Because it's like in the Uber days when Travis Kalanick started Uber, maybe there was five examples and he's like, okay, I'm going to use those as a model. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm like, I'm going to use his mouth. Today, if Travis Townick were to start something, there's 5,000 examples. And instead he's like, well, that person's like an idiot. Why are they ahead of me? And like, then you start comparing. And it's like, you know, so I, I, I think that, I think that the reason why that type of content works is because everybody sees these examples. They don't realize how much work went into it. They're looking for a shortcut. And then the shortcut answer is, oh, well, 
instead of doing 10 years of work, if I just watch this three-hour course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 80% of the way there. And I think that's the offers get people because of that. Now, what I think is going to happen to your point is like, eventually all of those people are going to either learn better or fall into the trap once or twice, not get where they want to go and be like, hmm, the course thing didn't make sense. And so to me, like, unless you have a perpetual new fire hose of people that are like naive, eventually like the trend is going to play out where these quick hit courses that don't actually build the thing you want to build don't work. So I kind of think we're in this weird wave and opportunistic entrepreneurs have seen it where it's like, if I just say I know how to do something, even though I don't and build a course just based on watching YouTube videos, I can make a hundred thousand, 200,000 in a couple of months. So that's why I think it works. But a good quote about this is Alex Hormozzi said this on a podcast. He's like, when you watch a movie, the Rocky, the Rocky training scene is only two minutes. But in reality, Rocky trained for 10 years to be able to do that fight. Mm. And a lot of people think the Rocky cut scene is two minutes because they're watching people online post about the private jets. Like, like Justin C is a good example, right? He's posting some dope shit. Like he just built his own Porsche. He's like traveling all over in these luxury cars, whatever. You can look at that and be like, this kid's only 26. Like he doesn't deserve that. But nobody goes back to the catalog. And like he did this for eight, 10 years. He was grinding for that long to get there. So that to me, that that's why I think these these offers work. That was fascinating, man. No, that that um that was so insightful and introspective. I, I think you're right. I mean, the the comparison game. I want to go back to that because that is uh, I, I forget who coined the quote. One of the most famous quotes in the world. But comparisons of thief of joy was that Teddy Roosevelt. I forget, Probably. I forget who said that. But it's it's so true, man. And and social has really exasperated that because you are comparing your everyday mundane moments to everybody's highlight reel. This year, I've dude. This last year and a half, I've I've just met so many people, and it's really opened my eyes, man, to to what I admire also in people. And I think we talked about it before. I admire like a lot of these directors. I admire I admire um, Carl Shakur way more than I admire somebody making ten times more than him, creating you know like the kind of content we were just talking about. And yeah, man, I've I've met a lot of very wealthy people, and I'm like I don't want their lives. I I do not admire them. I don't care that they're they're saying I made fifty million dollars doing this blah 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 this year, and then I look at them and just I don't admire them. I don't I don't really care. Like it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me. Where I look at an artist, not necessarily an artist, just like a really cool creative person living such a badass life, and I talk to them and they're fulfilled and they're doing something adventurous every day, and they got a great family support system. That I don't exactly know where I'm going with this thought, but it's like it's man it's so easy to fall into the trap of comparison but when you really know what's going on behind the scenes like when you understand the game a little bit better that starts going away a little bit so i don't know if it's the same for you but this comparison trap has been i'm not invulnerable to it of course but i'm a lot more resistant to it like it does not affect me nearly as much as it used to because now i have like this intimate understanding I guess of how the world works, how, how creator land works, how the startup world works. And I guess now having a daughter too, man, has changed a lot of my perspective as well. But I know that was a bit of a, a messy thought there, but I want to, I want to ask you kind of the same thing. Like, how do you, how do you resist this comparison trap? If you do it's, at all? It's tough. How, how do you I'm, I'm, I'm a little over the mountain on it as well, luckily. But so this is what I think happens when you start out and you have nothing and what have nothing, I don't mean like you don't have friends and family, but like you have no traction, let's say. All you want is something that works. And so when you, everyone you see that has something working is better than you. And so the comparison trap is max. It's like peak, peak amplitude because you're like, God damn it. Every person is 
figured it out and I haven't, like, why not? Right. The more you get a little bit of taste of what it's like when you have a video hit or you make a little bit of money online, I think that amplitude compresses a lot. And then you get to a point after having done it a while where those receptors just get fried, like the comparison receptors get fried and you don't, it doesn't affect you anymore. So I think like part of it is that just seeing what success looks like, like you said, meeting some of these people in, in, in person and you're like, what? Like this person is playing the facade extremely well. And then you just like realize that if that person's kind of bullshitting and like this person's bullshitting, then everyone's bullshitting. You just don't feel the comparison. So that's part of it. The other part is like, yeah, I think my my brain is just wired differently. Like it's similar to what you're saying. The I grew up in the Midwest. We had we had enough, but we didn't have a lot. And this I've got a Lay's potato chip factory on my back. Like the chips on my shoulder just keep like it's never going away. And so I love that. That's the best advantage ever is that I don't care to pair myself because the ch- I can't like like com- having what you have won't take the chip off my shoulder. The only way that I'm going to get a chip on my shoulder is if I win myself. So that that helps me not we'll worry see. that much about the comparison. But there are days where like I see shit come out and I'm like, damn, that's good. Like I was like I wish I came up with that. Like that's that's natural though, you know. You just have to not let it affect your self worth yeah, at life. That's the key. Hundred percent. How do you? I want to. I, I kind of want to introduce an interesting idea. Let's we'll do it. Um, I've been tracking my comments and it's like 99%, if not a hundred percent positive. And that doesn't make me feel good. Like, I actually think I'd like to be at a 20 to 30% negative or toxic comment clip because then it means that what I'm doing is of consequence. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but yeah, man, sometimes I'm like, am I just creating just vapid sort of nonsense? And by the way, it's not because I love it, right? Like tech, this, that, showing what's good, uh, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know, maybe it, it, it's a little more, um, you know, it comes down to more like, what's the purpose in life? It's a little, it's a little more of a, of a weird, deeper introspective question. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, if I'm not getting hate, if I'm not getting like 20% negativity on my content, it, does that mean is a, it's of no consequence? It's just kind of like toyish. I, I don't know if I articulated that well, but let me, let me know your thoughts on that. And if you've ever had like similar thoughts. I think like the, the, on on polar topics, the closer you get to the middle, the more hate you'll get because like it can be perceived by both sides as wrong. And so everybody's coming at you. So I find like the, yeah, I mean, I, I feel this too because most of my content leans optimistic. I, same for you where it's like you see something so, come yeah, out yeah. and you're like- Because I am an optimist. Exactly. Like a, yeah. I don't want to rip a brand and also I like new stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. we're covering new tech. It's like, yo, everything's new. It's cool. It's different. So when you lean optimistic- you're far away from the middle. Like you're all, you're almost all the way to the one the miss side. And so it's like, it's a feeble attempt for a hater to come in and try to trounce it because you didn't even open the window for them to say something. But to your point, the closer right. you get to the line where you're like, okay, this is cool, but, but also critical, the more like swarm you get of the feedback. To be honest, like I think negative comments when they don't come from people I know is kind of funny. Like, like sometimes I'll, like early on when I had videos that would go crazy and the co- there'd be like thousands of comments on TikTok, I would just like have a drink and go through and just like, like bullshit the responses. Like it would just be fun to me. But I will say negative comments from people I respect do, do humble me. And like, I don't like that feeling. And I usually only get those on Twitter. So like 
Instagram is for the most part a pretty positive place. I think anytime I get a negative comment, it's just someone being like, hey, you didn't think of this or hey, you know, it was more like suggestive. TikTok is insane. Like I, I just post and goes on TikTok. I don't really read them to be honest. But on Twitter, like those are the people that I want to respect me. That's where they play. So if I post something on Twitter and I get a negative comment, if it's constructive, I'm like, I actually take it to heart. I'm like, oh, okay, this person knows the Kyle. But if it's just like straight hate, then I don't love it. So yeah, I mean, I don't get a lot of negative comments either. And I, it's a good point. I think it's just because we lean optimistic so much and, or I don't see them. Maybe the platforms are just do a good job of filtering straight nonsense ones. If you want to be the center of the vortex though, you got to be closer to the line of like both sides if you want to get, you know, those opinions. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. I mean, there's two things to unpack there. One, when it comes to negative comments. Yeah, by the way, I think the the biggest mental hurdle, really the biggest hurdle of becoming a creator or like putting anything online is is the fear of like what other people may think and what other people may comment, those negative comments. I have like a way to combat this to the point where I I do feel like I'm a little invulnerable and 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 I'll explain. Um, But the, the other thing that I wanna say is like, I believe that, everybody has like two basic truths. Everybody wants to express themselves and everybody wants recognition for their expression. I believe that is uh, inherent to every single human walking the earth today. If somebody disagrees or says that it's not true, it's it's some sort of defense mechanism because I just believe that that's embedded into our DNA. And it's sad to me that people don't go out there and express themselves because of fear of fear of what other might, uh, people may think. That's also very natural. But what I've noticed when it comes to negative comments on the internet, and any, anybody listening, if you're like affected by negative comments, I want you to, I want you to think of two things. One is like you said, Calway, it's like um, sometimes uh, a negative comment may actually just be valuable feedback and you got to take it to heart, you know? And I've had uh, my fair share of those, but they're usually very easy to identify. I think you probably agree. Whether somebody's just being uh, negative because of some insecurity or, or you know, whatever, or if somebody's actually trying to leave like a critical piece of feedback, I think they're pretty easy to identify. But I have noticed negative comments on the internet. When, when you develop an intimate understanding of human psychology, they begin to have less and less impact because all behaviors on the internet, I think are pretty much like you can pinpoint, there's, there's a reason for that behavior. And so negative comments a lot of the time is just because a person is not satisfied with their own life. They're maybe they're envious, they're insecure, they're bitter, blah, 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 whatever. And it manifests as toxicity in the internet. There's these old adages that I think I subscribe to all of them. I think they're all true where it's like hate never comes from above. The loudest boos are from the cheapest seats, so on and so forth. I think that's all true. And I also just think that anybody doing better than you is not going to take the time out of the day to, to kind of like admonish you or, or try to tear you down. So I think, like I said, once you're equipped with that understanding of psychology, they begin to hit a little a little less hard. Um, I also just think it's par for the course on the internet. The bigger you get, the more toxicity you're going to get. Again, going back to like those deep-rooted psychological issues that I just highlighted. And maybe that's another reason that I almost desire more negative comments because I think while my comments lean 95, 98 plus percent positive, it just means I'm not that big of a creator yet, right? And yeah. so I, I feel like you can actually track those as a benchmark to how you're doing in a way and how of consequence your voice is ultimately in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I have more thoughts to that too, but I, but I do think like I want people out there to really, really understand that negative comments are generally, most of the time, a reflection on the person spewing them and their inadequacies and insecurities, et cetera, more than a reflection on your content. And once you're equipped with that knowledge, I think you become a lot more resilient. Yeah. I think that also quality smothers negativity. So like 
the videos that you and I make are pretty high quality in terms of the storytelling, the visuals. Like we, we try hard to make it high quality. It's really hard for a hater to hate when the quality bar is high. It's easier in someone's mind to like eat on something that's hook less time or whatever they tell themselves. So that is because I just picture like the videos we make that don't do well. What that means that they don't do well is it means that the majority of people that saw it didn't think it was good enough to keep watching or didn't share with that is negative, but they don't, but they don't post comments about it because I think they look at the quality. They look at the visual of it as simple as that. And they're just like, this was a good attempt. Or they're like, I really like this person. Like, I can't, I can't hate on the quality. I just didn't like the message. And so we don't get a lot of that hate versus like Sam Sulek. He's huge, but like, I bet he gets a lot of hate because his videos are like ducked, a phone duct tape to a tripod that just straight no edit. Like, I can see how people would justify saying something mean to him. I also think like you and I don't really, I guess this is your point about being vapid. We don't really step too far outside the, not only optimism, but conventional topics. Like, like we haven't really made a political post or the one I got the most comments on was the FTX thing about Sam Bankman Creed. And the reason why is because that had political undertones. It had crypto versus not crypto. It had banking. It had all the like check boxes of polarity. Most of the things we talk about aren't that polar. So that's, that's probably why, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I guess what I want to trend more towards like later, I guess, in my content career is like, and, and again, it's, um, what's the word? It's, it's, it's more existential, like exploring this existentialism, but eventually like we are going to get to the point, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, whatever, when we're like, just really thinking about legacy and the way that we want to help shape the world in our small ways. And I think in order to do that, you have to sort of discuss topics of more consequence, whether that be politics, et cetera. Um, but I guess another thing that, that here's an example like i had a piece of content where i was discussing the 20 the the rise of which is an interesting we should talk about this too but the rise of like these 24 7 irl streamers have you seen this and i had a piece of content about this where i'm kind of slamming them because i'm like this for, first of all i'm giving them kudos because it's like okay this is reality reality tv was a breakthrough idea you put a bunch of personalities in the room and the producers would piece the story now with this irl 24 7 streaming it's this evolution of reality tv where you're putting all these personalities because their their shows, so to speak, are all uh, joining together. And then their fans, in a way, are the producers because they're the ones piecing the clips together, blasting them with social to kind of tell some semblance of a story. But like in my script, I was also kind of blasting them because I'm like, these guys are all hiding behind bodyguards. Or, you know, like I was, I was kind of insulting them in a way. And I scrapped it because of that. And then I'm like, wait a second, these are like my honest thoughts. Like, should I shield my honest thoughts because I don't want to, you know, rub anybody the wrong way? And I guess that's where I'm getting at, where it's like, sometimes I do have a strong opinion about the thing that I'm covering, but I don't want to slam it, nor do I want to praise it too hard just because I don't want to ruffle any yeah. feathers. And I'm like, wait a second, I should be doing that. Well, more. the question is, I think the most important thing is is adding the trust coins to the bank. Like that's the most important. So so it's like, do you get, mo do you get net more trust coins because people respect that you are that you had an authentic opinion or does it lose you coins because you were too polar, which I would say you and I both bias towards, we're afraid it's going to lose us coins. So we don't post it. Like, yeah, I'm not in a place where I can, where I feel like I can just let a raw opinion fly. Like if I'm critical on a product, I just won't make the video because I, in my head, which is sad, this is the truth. I'm like, but, but, but is that counterintuitive to what you're saying? Cause if it's all about the trust coin, if you're not letting something fly because of a strategic, yeah, that is, that uh, is counter. See, Cause that, that's more strategy than it is authenticity. It is counter. That's kind of interesting, yeah. right? Like that counterintuitive. I think, I think the people that are trusted most on the internet, like, like MKBHD, for example, 
He's very highly trusted for tech review, I'd say. Probably the most highly trusted. Why is that? I've watched videos where he's not optimistic at all on like an Apple product where he he doesn't rip it to the point of where he's like, I hate Apple, but he's like two degrees away from that where he's saying, this is a miss, this is a flop. I don't see why you know, anyone would buy this. Like he's raw. And yet Apple still bites into his events. He still gets brand deals. So he's found a new a nuanced way to be extremely raw about his thoughts either way, positive or negative. And the brands don't, because right. I think he delivers his message in such like a pure, innocent delivery mechanism. I feel like I'm a little bit too like blunt and like sarcastic where if I, if I scripted something negative, it would come off like I was an asshole. But but you're you're right. Like maybe people would trust me more if I wasn't always optimistic. Like that's that's a good point. Well, I guess you're right. Maybe there is just a, a, a right delivery for it. Because I uh, do you know Doctor Disrespect. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's just like an entertainer personality that I love. And when he doesn't like something, he's like brash about it. Like this game fucking sucks. Call of Duty's for eighty year old men. The developers are all pussies. Like oh, maybe you want to edit this out. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was Call of Duty banned him from all their events and never invited him to anything and never gave him any brand deals. At it. And so he probably lost millions of dollars worth of, 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 of brand deals. But, you know, at the same time, maybe that helps him because when it because like people are like, wait, Doc's not afraid to spew it. Maybe that's so there is strategy behind. I'm always uh, I'm always reconciled between the two, like the strategy versus authenticity. Like, is there a balance? Do you want to lean one way or the other? And I guess. Like anything else in creator land, man, it really just depends on who you are, what kind of content you're making, it does. et cetera. I think you're right that, well, potentially the reason why the bigger you get, the more hate you get is because the bigger you get, the the more likely the more likely you are to feel safe and not uncancelable, uncancelable enough to be more provocative. Like when you're on the come up, you're kind of like, I'll like do everything. Yeah, like no, exactly. When they, I mean- They were uncancelable. Exactly. When you're on the come up, you don't really want like, you don't want to ruffle too many feathers because you- you don't know what's going to be the catalyst to drive you. But once you're big, you're like, I don't, there is no way I'm coming down. So like, I might as well be raw. That might be, that might be a thing as well. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about the meta event. So you went to, I guess you could talk about it. You got invited to like a meta, a meta event. You were in New York for a while. Like talk about what that was. And like, I have a bunch of questions off that. First of all, Meta is really dope. Like, I'm actually loving everything coming out of Meta. I think they're making really thoughtful moves. I think Zuck is a killer. It's somebody I'll never bet against. But as far as like the actual Instagram Meta team, like I've I've befriended so many people in the comms team, um, innovations teams, creator teams, etc., and they're making a real concerted effort to like really kind of back and evangelize and celebrate the creators, which I haven't seen from Instagram before. You know, I've seen it mostly from YouTube. I think YouTube is the best at this. But now, like, Meta is really making moves uh, to kind of push their creators. And I think we talked about it last episode, where I do think there is now this new crop of creators that'll be short form only, Instagram, TikTok only, that may reap the same sort of benefits as, as long form YouTube only, which is an interesting uh, thing to, to track. But so just because I've been making a lot of content around some of the stuff Meta is really passionate about right now, AI, mixed reality, et cetera. I've had access. They've been inviting me to a lot of events, hooking up with products. So they invited me to to come to uh, the New York offices on this last Thursday. Um, it was a Reality Labs team happy hour, and they were demoing uh, to select creators the, the new Quest 3. They hooked us up with uh, a pair of Meta Ray-Bans. Hold on, let me grab them. The Meta Ray-Bans are so dope. I think they're... They Dude, I want to talk to you about, talk about it. They're, uh, they're fucking killer. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great event. And again, man, I, I'm just really happy with everything that, that Meta's doing. And I'm also just like transparently enough, just trying to build a lot of goodwill with them because I do think there's uh, my content and the stuff that you and I want to build, et cetera. I think there's a lot of great synergy uh, with Meta. But bro, these glasses are, crazy. are the real deal. 
Like they are the real deal. You feel like they I, wouldn't not, be, right? Getting... You, like you saw like the no. first Snapchat spectacles were pretty shitty. And like you feel like these, oh, it's not gonna be that these are sick. Like these are dope. They're sick. And um I'm not getting paid for this. I got these for free. That's about it. Meta didn't pay uh, you know, to I, I made a piece of content just out of goodwill just because I thought they were cool. I'm not getting paid, but dude, they're crazy. The quality is surprisingly good. The audio that comes out of these, these speakers right here, like there's so much tech in these pieces of glasses. The audio is so unbelievably crisp. Like dude, recording audio like, when you talk to like me? listening to like, uh, oh, the no, listening. sorry, the, uh, the speaker yeah. audio. So it sounds like something coming out of like Bose or, or you know, like high-end speakers. But the crazy thing about it, I guess just the way that the sound travels is that if you're standing two feet away from me, you're going to be able to barely hear. What's it's wild. Is it shooting it straight down? loud and clear. So it's great because that was my worry. I was like, I'd always still wear AirPods. I don't want anybody hearing what's going on. But it, it doesn't really happen like that unless you're like in a completely pin drop, drop quiet setting. And then the other thing, the audio recording, the sound recording is also unbelievably crisp. And I'm like, yo, this is amazing. Granted, there's some like some things I don't like one minute uh, recording limits. Oh, that's uh, the battery life actually kind of dies pretty quick, like stuff like that. But again, this is first iteration, fifth iteration with uh, multimodal AI integrated maybe mixed reality enabled i think these are uh they're not like the iphone killer as all these ai wearables are are, are trying to get to but they're a very good alternative slash compliment and i'm so bullish on these man and it's also a hundred dollars more than just buying the regular sunglasses so it's kind of a, a good or do they have the the ai chat like you can say like hey meta and it is it just to record though there's no yes, like yeah. search or anything no no they have ai uh they have ai capabilities integrated um, they don't have the visual context. So eventually when they have the multimodal oh, yeah. AI, like I'll be able to look at something and ask it, what am I looking at? What is the store? What's the menu? You know, et cetera. Um, but they do have AI integration. It's powered by the uh, network on your iPhone. And and it's uh, it's Llama. It's powered by Llama, which is, bro, like great open source software. Uh, I don't know. Super bullish. I'm very I'm bullish on paid. these. This is not a, I bought, I not bought them. So I, yeah, not only are we not getting paid, I paid. For the glasses, so I'm 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 gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get them probably in a month. But th this is my thought about it. What colorway? So I think I I need to check again. But the one I was the one I wanted to get was the transition because when you're outside, yes. it'll look like sunglasses. But when I'm going inside, I want to be able to record stuff inside it, but not be wearing sunglasses, like right. not be able to see. So I think yeah. I ordered the yeah, transition yeah. lenses. Hopefully, sick. I'm gonna trade mine in for those. Yeah, or sell this and buy those because I, I I like that. So idea. the reason why I was so excited about them a like the video quality coming out and it's pretty good right it's 12 megapixels but it's is it pretty sharp like what would he really good um i actually compared it to like uh the iphone obviously like iphone's going to be a lot better in low light etc but it's not that dramatic of a um j j just straight out the camera yeah right like iphone there's more data so you can edit it a little better obviously this is going to be more destructive kind of when when you edit them but just for like casual stories bro, sick why wouldn't you go? These, so you know, this is yeah. what I was thinking is like when I, when I put together my, I hate calling it like a camera kit, but like, I'm trying to think, okay, how can I capture the things that I'm doing in the most lightweight way? Like I have a DSLR, I'm shooting some DSLR. I just got an FX3 so that I can record like oh. a little bit better. I mean, I had an E7 III. That was the only camera that I had. So I was like, I, I got to get, I got to get the, uh, are you on it right now? What camera are you, you, no, you this is just right the a7 three, but it's, and it's just cam length in the computer. It's still like, of course, really sharp got for it, this, but yeah, it's great, I want to be able to shoot the S log. This doesn't even have S log three. So I can't even, I can't even color grade on this in a, in a good way. So, or I don't know how, but <laughs> I'm not that good at it. So with the, with the FX three, I'll have uh, S log three. And I think it just gives me a lot more options, but I don't want 
to carry the FX3 with, with interchangeable lenses. Like I don't want to travel with that. So when I think about what what are the things that you need that I want to create the dopest content, all you need is a phone. Like I, I just got the iPhone 15. I, I haven't even used the log S-log yet or the whatever D-log, whatever they call it. The iPhone 15, those meta glasses give you like sick POV. And then I've been shooting photos on the Fuji X100V, which I, I'm obsessed with this camera. Like, I don't know if you've seen the stories I've been posting, but just straight out of the Fuji with one click preset in Lightroom, it, it looks, it, it gives it a little bit more of like the nostalgic look versus an iPhone photo, which looks different than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I need. Like I have the Mavic 3 or the Mavic, yeah, 3 Air Pro, like the really small one. So if, if you take those four things, you've got the smallest drone with sick quality. Your phone is like just as good as a DSLR. I have a stills camera that you could probably replicate with the phone. And then you got those POV on your on your face. I mean, I, what more do you need like to create dope shit? I feel like it, it's sick how small the form factor. Yeah, this is perfect for like casual stories or like POV uh, shots in like a greater piece of content. I'm not. This is not going to replace like an iPhone if I'm going to film something that I wanted to to like really be top quality. But yeah, man, for stories or just for fun things, like I, I can think of, uh, you know, maybe I'm doing something in my studio and I have like a quick POV, like a one second shot as that piece of content. That's really dope. And also just the convenience, like you're walking around town. If you see something you like, something that's dope, instead of pulling your phone out, you just click a, a quick button. And if you don't have AirPods, these can also, you know, sort of substitute for those as well. Like it caught me by uh, surprise, actually, when I was in New York, I didn't realize they announced my phone calls and I didn't have my AirPods on me. And all of a sudden I started hearing my phone. And I'm like, yo, how? Like for, for a second, I was really confused. Like where's this guy? And then I realized, okay, the glasses. But yeah, they're, um, they fit certain specific use cases. I don't think it's going to like replace permanently any camera device yet. I just think, again, if you if you like Ray-Bans and how they look anyways, for an extra hundred bucks, you can have that functionality uh, on you with the with the AI assistant. That's so, dope. I, I just think it's- I got, I got an idea for you. So, or like a, a, a little thought provoker. So basically, so you know, you know Barstool, how Barstool basically revolutionized sports media in a way that people hadn't, hadn't really seen before. Oh, yeah. So you, you kind of have like, for sports, you have like Sports Center, which is like super proper, buttoned up, high production. You have- personalities but it, a lot of it's like let me tell you what happened then you have barstool which is kind of like the group of misfits that talk about sports and like are hilarious right so those are like the polar yeah. sides of sports media and what i was thinking is why don't really either of those exist for you could call it tech startup entrepreneurship neither of those exist you don't have like a merry band of characters that talk that are like funny and are talking about shit in like a sarcastic way but you also don't have like a serious i don't maybe cheddar was trying to do this but i i I never really loved cheddar you don't really have a serious approach to it so i wonder what you think about that and also there's nothing stopping like me and you from becoming like if we were physically in the same place we could probably for like ten thousand dollars set up a studio where you and i became we could pick which way barstool or sports center but like we became that that's how wide open this is so i wonder i wonder your thoughts of like why that model hasn't been, you know, copied over to tech or startups or whatever category. Yeah, I had that uh, similar thought, like when I started creating content more like around news and like a small assessment. And I think somebody uh, tweeted it to me. It was like, oh, RP Nixon's making like sports center content for tech. And I was like, that's pretty dope. And that's when I tried out um, the like sports yeah, yeah. center style rundown. And I was going to, and then, and then, um, but again, man, it goes back to like my earlier point. Do I want to be like a news 
rundown creator? Do I want to be like more of a, a storyteller? Um, but yeah, no, it's an opportunity. And but like, that's the thing. This is why these conversations and like live creative brainstorms are so useful. And I think so many people are going to find value out of them because it's like, we can go so many directions. I think being, knowing how to create content that, that is retentive, that is interesting to people, that is shareable. I think it's a superpower. And like, there are so many ways that you can take that. And I've thought about it a lot. You know, I don't know. Like, how do we want to divvy up our times? I've thought about the studio model a lot. I want to build a studio with, you know, two talking head setups, two podcast setups, and just like a bunch of creators in there. Maybe it's even membership based that are coming in. They can use it at all times. Maybe you're selling it by the hour, but like, otherwise that's kind of how it's paying for itself. I'm going to bring that again back to you. Sorry to like not answer any questions and, and throw them back to you. But how do you think about that? Because I've been thinking about it a lot. I just don't know where I want to. We, we should definitely experiment with it because I think so like one option for getting and like some of it's tech news, but honestly, it's more just like what's going on in tech that not necessarily news based, but like interesting. One way is kind of what we're doing, which is it's just one of us in our video. It's like just me or just you talking for 60 seconds and explaining. And that's like compelling but that's because the ba baseline is so low like, I think, like what we're doing is compelling but it's not amazing i think what would be even more amazing imagine like that format but in like three to four minute bite-sized chunks with both of us where we like i don't kind of like weekend update but like not as cheesy you know where it's like you introduce uh the topic but then we do like one of the like what you would do on a podcast but it's like quicker and you you write it so that it's like more a little bit more scripted and quicker and snappier but it's like, you introduce it, you throw it to me, I say something, we go back and forth a couple of times, give a funny take, and then off. And like, it's just these little pockets of like, like the humane pin, we could have made the most hilarious like four minutes get about that, but also been really informative about like what it is, what we think the pros and cons are. Instead, like we both made kind of just like, because of the time constraint of the shorts, we just made like that, here's what's happening. And like, will it work? Yes or no, right? Like it, it felt a little, I think the thing you were saying earlier, which is resonating with me too, is the tech news takes that we're giving feel very vanilla because the form factor is too limiting and not it's not expansive yeah. enough to actually give a real Correct. take so that's wide open i mean one way to do it is in this podcast format like we have a, we could have a podcast that's just run down we just fire topics but and then you clip those so that's kind of like how i guess barstool does it today with the rundown but i think there's room there like there's room to be a little bit more compelling where I don't want to say we become must-see TV, but like anybody who's a builder is like, I kind of want to see what these guys think about. That's what I want to get. Right. Yeah. I would love that. You know, I mean, uh, I think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but one of the, I think the pinnacle almost for any creator is to, like Joe Rogan. You know what I love about Joe Rogan is like people want his opinion on anything, on everything. Even if he's not necessarily the expert, they just love how he synthesizes it, how he thinks about it, how he... And, uh, and also, you know, it's also alluring because he's listened to by so many people that it's important to get his take because yeah, he yeah. moves markets, right? Like he, he creates sentiment. Uh, he can build narratives. So it's also like, it's alluring to understand what he thinks about something because you want to know whether he's going to validate your opinion on it or reject it. I think that's interesting as well. But yeah, man, I'd love to try because I'm all about trying new formats. Like I love the internet like part of what content is is experimenting with new formats and seeing what hits what doesn't and if it hits like you keep you keep allocating kind of resources to it and there's so many incredible creators that have like part of what will separate you from the pack as a creator is cracking a new formula a new format and so i'd be willing to try just because i love that like i'm like you know 
I love nerdy. A way to do it remote is we. I got to dial my lighting setup where it's similar to yours, but we both use a green screen and we record ideally like in a podcast format so that you get the timing and the bounce off, but it's green screen both. And then you can edit us both in the room together, basically the same backdrop where it looks the same. Mm, That's one option. You could also do it where it's just like slipping back and forth. But um, I was going to say the reason why, this is the most important point. The reason why Joe Rogan won is because He's a practitioner of the shit he talks about. That's why. So it's like you and I are talking about creator shit. We're talking about building businesses. And the reason it's going to work and this is going to be big is because we are creators and talking about businesses. It goes back to the point we were talking about before is a lot of people are selling courses on shit they don't do. So it's like they're making content on stuff they're not a practitioner in. The reason why you love Joe Rogan, he is an MMA black. He does do archery. He does hunt. He does like he does. He does all these things. He is a comedian. Like that's why you like him and it, it's not even as direct as like i trust this guy because he is but the he has contextual depth in what he talks about because he does it every day that's why like a lot of the podcasts that you listen to are just talking heads posturing about a topic they would like to be a practitioner in but they aren't they're j- they make money from talking i think we've got something special here because we are the practitioner and both of us don't just want to be the t- we want to be the practitioner because that's where the juice is and we love it. Like another, another, like Joe Rogan is such a, uh, a case study because again, what we were talking about earlier, he just spent the first 10 years just because he loved it and he loved, he was naturally curious and he had people on that he wanted to pick their brain and just like learn more about. And he was talking about crazy shit and like Joe Rogan, he'll talk about, you know, MMA and then the next breath, he'll talk about hunting. Then the next thing he'll talk about aliens and like, it, it just made sense because he loved it. It was, none of it was forced. I guarantee you if Rogan went back and he was just like, what's the biggest guest we can get? What's the biggest guest we can get? And that was his North Star. It would not be nearly as effective. But I love what I love about Rogan is he'll get people that are like, nobody really knows who they are or like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of not as big. They're not like big names. They're not going to move the needle in anyone in any way, shape or form. But he'd rather talk to those people than like the biggest, most viral name yeah. he can get at that moment. He does not care about those views, and that's why he wins. It's the same way in business. It's this old adage where it's like, if you're not chasing the money, you're going to make the money, right? If you're just if you're just passionate about solving a problem, that's how you're going to make money. It, you know, and so it's like all these um, what what do you call them? These like little paradoxes, right? And it's the same with Joe Rogan, and I love it. That's that's why. That's I, why I, I feel like we could do so 100 much. episodes just me and you, but it'll be really fun when we bring in like homies they're also practitioners in various things and then we just chopped it up that's what we were talking about off camera is just this this same style exactly with just somebody else exactly really dope that we love instead of like what's your life story how did you come yeah the worst those are this like a dime a dozen yeah. in the and if you want to know somebody's life story you can go find it but we're gonna bring like sick people on and just chop it up like this give me this is gonna be dope you know what you just give me an idea like this could be that this okay so imagine this so it's like you introduce an idea and then it's like four of us and we can use Instagram because now on Instagram you can collab post with like four different people and everybody gives like a 10 second opinion yeah, or so. a 15 second opinion. Like the humane pin just dropped. Like you know how uh, I guess Sports Center kind of did this where they have like different analysts yeah. and everybody gives their opinion. So it's maybe less debate or maybe, maybe it can be written so we can include some fun like banter and debate. But imagine it's like humane pin just dropped. Callaway, what do you think? You give 15 seconds. Roberto, what do you think? I don't know. Jeff, what do you think? Grateful, what do you yeah, think? Yeah. Whoever might be on that panel. And like we uh, we just fired off. 15 seconds, what do y'all think? That's that like I'm, be, I'm down to try all these different like formats because I think there's so much. 
The canvas yeah, yeah. is wide and most people are just doing the same thing because they, they haven't experimented. Like what's the what's this show on uh ESPN that's uh part no not part of What's the one with that uh Tony Reality hosts with the four people and they get points? Oh it's yeah. not it's yes, not part of the interruption. The it's I know, uh, I know what you're talking about. Whatever. But that if you if you're listening and you know that show, it's basically like four yeah, around the horn. Around the so horn, like maybe? you could you could edit it so it's like okay, yeah, yeah. the four of us are up at the top, like always. And then the person who's talking becomes like the bottom three fourths. That's sick. Dude, That's cool. Let's try it. Ima- imagine, imagine this. Humane pin just came out. What do you think? And like one person, maybe, maybe one person's like, I actually love this. This is gonna be the future. Da, da, da. And the next person's like, Yo, this is the most pointless yeah, shit yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And then, and also that would spur more conversation. And I think that AVD, just from a strategy uh, point of view, is uh, maybe we can have like the the most abrasive. Or like the traditionally most abrasive person come at the end, just in case yeah, yeah. you know, like that watch time. Um, but that's actually exciting, man. A good a good way it. to do the format would be you have like the host, and then you have the, a few people at the top, and the host is like introduces the it's the hook, but like it introduces the topic, and like they're the, they're like quarterbacking right. to the people. That's how you transition it, where it's like smooth. That's kind of sick. I, I really like that. We should try that. That is sick, and it's like fifteen seconds like rehearsed, where you're where you're not like, well, um, I think. It's like, and we can have it written and prepared so like somebody can riff off of you. So like you do one point and I'm like, and I come in, I'm like, Callaway, that's insane. Yeah, exactly. Like and it just cutting back and forth. Like, this is, a, you know, That'd like, be that would be hilarious. That's really cool. Ooh. If we find a way to like, if we can find a way to produce that like systematically to where we can. A way to, yeah, a way to do it. We should try it. A way to do the process would be, we, we just have the four people come on like a podcast format like this. And we have the topics. We 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 have the topics. We send the topics out before the podcast. Everybody like writes their take about it. Then we have one of these podcast situations. We just do each one, like record all four at the same time, and then we just have somebody cut it up. and And I think that would work really well. Like, th- so yeah. this is a th- another way could just be a script. So it's like, okay, you write your take, yeah, yeah. and then I'll riff off your take, and then some, and then like the third person, and we can always be switching up the order. Or it could just be one and two. It doesn't even have to be th- three, four, multiple, but. That is a format that's, that's super fresh, fresh that nobody's done. And now that we put it out there, maybe some people listening are going to. So, so don't so that's that a, that's another. Um, so that's a good that's example of a bigger point, which is there's a lot of format in legacy media that can be teleported over in a new way in shorts or in whatever YouTube that haven't been. So mm-hmm. like, for example, what's really popular in legacy media? Game shows. Nobody's really done a game show on shorts. Like it's kind of be chaotic to edit and produce, but like, there are that's one example another is that's a, a good one that actually worked is have you seen the updating that on tiktok that dude who does the updating so it's it's basically like a it's like a dating show yeah. in new york but basically they make tiktoks and they bring up it's like either a girl or a guy one of them is blindfolded the other one's not or they're they both start out blindfolded and then he asks them questions about what their type is whatever one of them takes the blindfold off and then the other the other one's like like oh what are the describe them for me and like it's just this whole dating experience and then the second person takes their blindfold off and they're like do you want to go out with this person yes or no a lot of times they say no and then the whole crowd is like oh shit and then they bring someone from the crowd who so it's it's like it, mm. basically the bachelor on tv transformed for short so right, quicker cuts right. it, it's a good example of like if you go mining for formats that are successful on long-form television there's so much room and like this would be a good, what we're describing is a good example for Interesting. So an abridged, faster paced, maybe even more like salacious yeah. around the horn. And we're, we're like, real, like the banter needs to be like, 
we're really kind of like ripping each other, but like in a fun way, sort of roasting exactly. each other so, sometimes. Like, I think that'd be fun because there would have to be a dichotomy. There'd have to be. Exactly. You need, you need, and you, you need like something. jokes and you need like the one character who's always like off the wall. Like you, you exactly. want to see what they say. Dude, let, let's riff on this. Cause I think, uh, it's like you and I can be like the main ones and then we can always have <laughs> like extra two people. And once we do it successfully, then it's very easy to do like people understand like yeah. what, what we're looking for. It's like, Hey, we need you to record 15 seconds. Um, or, or like, let's write a, I, I don't know. I think it would, I think. Yeah. It has to either be scripted be or, like or cuff. you record it together. Yeah. Otherwise, like you won't get the reaction, the reaction parts, which, cause then it would just be like independent takes that you try to stitch. Yeah. I think, yeah, we, let's I think script we script it. it. You basically just write it like a little, uh, yeah. a little comedy short basically, or whatever the, whatever the lens. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's, edu- and, and by the way, my thing is always, you want to educate, you want to inspire, yeah. you want to entertain. If you can do all three, you have a home run. That's doing all three because you're educating while entertaining. And I think it'll be inspirational to people as well. Yeah, so, that's sick. All right, let's try let's that for sure. You got anything else you want to cover on this pod or should we wrap it? Yeah, man. No, I think, I think we can wrap it. This is good, dude. This, this, this is going to, this is going to yeah. work putting it out that there. format. We just this did, is, you know, these creative sessions, this, this, this format that we just did. And like I said, we'll probably try to do two a week. I think, I think we should aim for one a week, just you and I, and then another week yeah, I'm down. on a guest. And for anybody listening, it's not going to be, Hey, what are you plugging? What's your story? Here's 10 questions for you to answer. No, it's going to be like, this It's just going to be another homie on with us riffing about stuff that we're passionate about talking about what's going on. And, uh, hell yeah. I think that's, yeah. If you like creative brainstorms, bingo, that's all, that's all we'll do. Sick weekends. All right. That's the pod.